Hello and welcome to the Gird Up Podcast. The call to gird up is an ancient way of telling a man to prepare himself for hard work or a battle ahead. Our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and to live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers, brothers in Christ, working hard to become the men that God has called us to be. I am your host, Charlie Jungemach. I'm a teacher, a coach, music director, and a man of God, myself working toward the goal of, like David, being a man after God's own heart. We're happy you could join us. Now it's time to roll up our sleeves, to gird up, and become the men that God has created us to be. All right, dudes, you are listening to the Gird Up Podcast, and I am Charlie Ungemach. Pardon my voice today, I've got a cold, and so I know I don't sound like normal, but we're going to power through and we're going to put a good podcast out today anyway. This is a Saturday morning coffee episode, which means it's only about 15 minutes long or so, maybe even less, um, and it's me talking to you from the heart about some things that are on my heart and my mind, usually from Scripture. Today it is from Scripture, it's just a little devotional type thing. To help you become a better man, to change maybe the way you think about some things. Excuse me. Um, Man, we just got some good things to say today. And we're going to get into that in a second. But first, I want to let you know that this is a podcast that doesn't make any profit. So if you want to support the Gird Up podcast, you got to make sure you share this thing. You make sure you talk to the people about it. Find us on Instagram. Find us on We're not on Twitter, but you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can send me emails. You can send people links to podcasts. You can do all kinds of different things. You can talk to people about podcasts. You can listen to this podcast at work or in your classroom. You can email me and get a sticker for your bike or the back of your car or your water bottle or your computer or whatever it is and and tell people about it. You can buy a coffee mug um, for really cheap. They're really cheap mugs. Just go find them. They're awesome. But anyway, you can buy a coffee mug and drink out of a Gird Up coffee mug and tell anybody that asks what's going on and why you listen to the Gird Up podcast. But anyway, it's my job to bring you good content. And today that good content is based on the story of Joseph. And before we get into the story of Joseph, I want to talk about heroes. Man, we are in a hero-saturated culture, and I guarantee that you've heard a preacher preach a sermon about it. It's, it's one of our favorite topics to preach on right now, um, and I know that with the, all these Marvel movies and DC Comics movies coming out and everything, that, that everybody's talking about heroes, but this is a little bit different. Um, this is a little bit of a different take on, on the hero thing, because I like to think of myself as a hero. I've got a Hulk water bottle that I use, and I, I use that Hulk water bottle in the gym because I want to look like the Hulk, right? And when my students ask me about my water bottle, I say, well, go get my water bottle for me. They go, how do I know it's yours? I say, because it says my name on it. And they go, what? I say, it says my name on it. And it says Hulk. And they go, uh, Mr. You, your name's not Hulk. I said, don't you say that. You're making me angry. And you won't like me when I'm angry. And they all giggle and laugh or whatever. But, but it's the truth. I like to think that I'm the hero of my own story. Right? I've got this, this, this movie thing going on in my head where I'm watching this movie of my life and I see the great struggles and great sacrifices that I put in on a day-to-day and I see how this, this great hero goes and sacrifices for his kids and I see how he's the victim of, of so many verbal and, and spiritual and emotional assaults from the outside world and see how well he weathers them and how he serves God anyway. And I start to get all wrapped up in my own story and my own thoughts and, and, and serving myself that I end up being really, really selfish about it. And I forget something. I forget that this isn't even my story. <laughs> you know, 
I get so worried about me and myself being the hero of my own story and this narrative that makes me so awesome and great that I forget that it's not even my story to begin with. This isn't my story. This is the greatest story ever told. This is God's story. This is the story of God making creation, that creation falls and then Jesus comes and he dies on a cross. This is a redemption story. This is the story of God buying us back and then giving us so many opportunities to latch onto his grace and end up in heaven with him. This is an incredible story of redemption. And when I try to make myself the hero of this story, I do the, the story a disservice. I do myself a disservice and I lose sight of what's really actually important in my own life and in this great grand scheme of things, this great grand story that God is telling us both in scripture and out of it. I think the best example of that, I think the best example of not being a hero in my own story is the story of Joseph. Now, Joseph was a hero in his own eyes as a kid. He was <laughs> the cockiest of cocky. He thought he was really something special. Joseph had a coat of many colors. He was daddy's favorite. His mom was daddy's favorite, and he let everybody know that he was the favorite. He used to taunt his older brothers. He's got uh, 10 older brothers, and he would taunt his older brothers, make sure that they knew he was getting special treatment, that he didn't have to work as hard as they did, and his brothers hated him for it. All of his brothers, by the way, also came from the other mom, and this is just a family dynamic that was terrible. <laughs> it's a horrible, terrible, awful family dynamic. It's not a good place to grow up and definitely not a good place to be mocking your older brothers and letting them know that you are daddy's favorite. And so what they eventually do is they sell him into slavery. And and after after his brothers sell him into slavery, and actually they wanted to kill him, and his oldest brother's like, dude, if we kill this kid, we're going to have to live with the guilt, and we're going to have to lie to dad for forever. So let's sell him into slavery instead. Let's make some money. So they made some money. They sold him into slavery, and then they faked his death and told dad that he was dead, and everything was over. Well, Joseph goes off in slavery. He ends up in Egypt. He works his way up. He's a hero, you know. He works his way up. He gets all the way up to the top of Potiphar's household. He's the, the, the top dog. He's barely a slave anymore. He's Potiphar's top servant. He's the one who's in charge of making sure all of Potiphar's affairs are in order. He's kind of like Potiphar's personal assistant. And when he gets up there and everything's going great, he says, no. He says, no. When Potiphar's wife, the man that he serves, wants to sleep with him, he says, no. In fact, he runs away. He runs away so fast that he left his cloak behind and he ends up getting blamed for rape. She lies on him. He gets blamed for rape. It would be really easy for him to play victim, and it wouldn't surprise me if, at least for a little while, he did get pretty down on himself and feel like a victim while he's sitting there in an Egyptian prison. But he got back up. He got back up. He kept serving the Lord. He kept living out his faith in the Heavenly Father, and he eventually works his way up until he is the guy who's in charge of all the other prisoners. He's like the personal assistant to the prison guard and and he's so well respected that uh he, he gets to kind of run the prison and uh he, he tells some people his dream or he tells some he translates some dreams for a couple of guys he ends up um, making some high-powered friends and they forget about him once again it'd be easy to feel like a victim because these guys are out of prison they're back in power and they're forgetting about the guy that they promised they would help out who's still stuck in prison but Joseph doesn't get down. He waits for an opportunity, and when God gives him an opportunity, he serves the king faithfully, and he doesn't get cocky or arrogant. In fact, when his brothers show up, he doesn't even say a word. He doesn't even tell them who he is. 
He just faithfully serves them. And when he does tell them who he is, he loves them. He loves his brothers. Even though they sold him off into slavery, he sees how God's hand guided the Israelites, or guided Israel, Jacob's family, out of danger, out of the danger of starvation, and ended up saving the family line of the Savior because Joseph was sold into slavery. And the story doesn't actually end there. Joseph's story continues for generations and generations because all of a sudden all of Jacob's family moves to Egypt. And while they're living in Egypt, they become a very great nation. Millions and millions of people who become very, very, very wealthy and are very, very well-to-do because they live in the best areas, the best agricultural areas of, of, of Egypt. And the Israelites start to get jealous and it'd be easy for the Israelites to play victim and they do for a while. They do for a while. They whine and complain and they wonder when God is going to come rescue them. And God doesn't come right away. He waits and he waits and he waits and he eventually sends Moses. And Moses grows up in the palace of the king. Everybody goes, that kid's going to save us. Nope. He murders a guy and has to run away. And when he comes back, he didn't even want to be there. He thinks he's not fit for the job. God sends 10 plagues. And finally, the people of Israel get released. And finally, the people when the people of Israel get released, he gets the Israel, the Egyptians to send all their gold along with. And now not only is Israel a very, very large nation, but is very, very wealthy as they wander back to the promised land. Face starvation They've twice, no, three times because they do it in the desert. They face thirst. Um, they, they almost thirst to death. There's 30 years of wandering in the desert. And only after all of that are they happy, healthy, wealthy in the promised land. They've got Canaanite crops. They've got Egyptian gold, and they've got God's love. I guarantee you, none of the people living in Egypt had any idea that God was going to make a great nation out of them, that he was going to bless them with all the wealth of of all the nations. And eventually, think about Solomon and David. Think about Jesus coming from that family line. I'm sure they thought that God had completely forsaken them, but God was working the entire time. He was building them into an absolutely great nation. One of the greatest nations, one of the wisest kings, one of the richest nations ever to exist. God was building up the Israelites in his own way. And we need to remember that. We are not the heroes of our own story. God is the hero of this story. And he's writing very unique stories in our lives. And he's, re- he's got a, a great imaginative mind. And he's going to do things his way. So what we need to do is be patient and trust God. God is going to do things in our life that we don't understand. God's going to send things our way that we're not going to we're not going to like all the time. But we need to trust that God is working in us and he is giving us everything we need. He's giving us everything that he wants us to have and he's going to work good from the things that he's sending our way. Even the terrible things, even the things that we think are awful, God is working good in those. Even at our absolute worst moment, God is working good in those. And we might not even see the fruits, but the fruits will come. The people wandering in the desert never got to see the promised land, but their children did, and their grandchildren were a great nation. Jacob never saw his family become great. He only saw his family move to Egypt, but his, na- his family returned to, his prom- to the promised land a very, very wealthy people. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt. They weren't even respected citizens. They were slaves, forced labor, being starved and overworked. 
And God used that to turn them into a very wealthy, very rich, very large nation. It's pretty incredible. Trust that the Lord is doing great things in your life. Trust that the storyline the Lord is writing is greater than anything you could have thought or imagined. And pray that you get to see the fulfillment of God's promises in your life. The promises that he makes to bless you. The promises he makes to prosper you and not to harm you. The promises he makes to give you hope in the future. Proverbs, or Psalms, whew. Psalm 27 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. Gird up, guys. Have a great week. Wait for the Lord. Thanks for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, you can find more episodes like this on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, the podcast app, and Pippa. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at Time to Gird Up. You can find us on Facebook at The Gird Up Podcast. Or if you want to email me, you can email me at Coach Ungemach, that's U-N-G-E-M-A-C-H, at gmail.com. Please leave a five-star rating and review on this podcast on iTunes. The more four- and five-star ratings we receive, the more people we will reach on iTunes because iTunes will boost us more. Thank you to Seth Palmeyer for our podcast art. And thank you to you, the listener, because without you, this podcast would not be possible. So with that, I encourage you to go out, man up, gird up, and become the men that God has created us to be. Have a good one.